Hello and welcome to this episode of the Writing Talk podcast. I'm your host, the writer Michael Campling, known to friends as Mikey. And the topic this week is all about how to outline your novel. Welcome to the Writing Talk podcast, a show that helps you to build your skills as we go on our writing journey together. So we're going to be talking about how to outline your novel. Now, this could be a novel that you've written in lockdown, which at the time of recording, lots of us are experiencing, but it could just be a novel that you're writing anyway. And in the previous episode, we talked about a basic setup of what you'd need to get going. So you might want to go back and listen to that. There might be one or two useful things in there for you. But just to remind you, otherwise, um, we talked about getting a basic text editor or simple word processor set up with three documents in there. One for notes, which are things you're just going to blast ideas down. Another for plans and a third one for your first draft. So in this episode, we're going to concentrate on that planning document, that middle one. Now, I tend to refer to this as a plan rather than an outline. You can call it what you want. Um, You could spend the next three months reading books on how to outline a novel, or we could just get on and begin it. And I know which I prefer, so uh, so let's get cracking with it. So I mentioned previously that having a section in your plan for a timeline is a useful place to start. And just we'll elaborate on that a little more. Certainly, it's worth considering the idea of jotting down a simple sequence of events in the order that they happen. Could just be a word or two for each event. Now, some kinds of work will really benefit from putting a bit more detail into that stage of of getting a a working timeline in your book because it will help the plotting to to trot along nicely. So, for example, in a mystery novel, you'd really be quite well advised to start noting down uh, dates and times of day when things are going to happen. Uh, Certainly for lots of the events in that kind of book, probably quite large and small, whether they're clues or they're red herrings or whatever, But later on, you'll be wanting your sleuth to be able to piece together what's happened, uh, looking at the clues and the various testimonies of people and who lied and so on. And so having an idea of what actually happened crystal clear in your own mind is pretty important in that kind of work, I would argue. And the same would go for a sort of police detective kind of novel, crime novel. I really think the order of events is going to be critical. In all kinds of novels, it can be really useful to know who was where at each point, so which characters are at which locations, and they are worth noting down in your planning documents so that you can have everybody be at the right place at the right time. Um, So that could be useful in something like a romance novel, I'm guessing, where it's important that your people are sort of guided towards each other to meet at the correct uh, timings. You might want to note that down. In something like a thriller Uh, you really need to be able to take your reader on a journey through an exciting series of events, building up the suspense and working in elements of intrigue and things like that as you go. So to get that effect pulled off correctly, I think it's a good idea to plan out in advance to some extent who is going to be where at each stage of the journey. Now, That's just quite a sort of mechanical type thing to deal with, you know, a simple list. It sounds basic and it is. Uh, And it's it's starting to sound a bit dangerously like admin, isn't it? But um, we want 
the plan that you write to actually enhance your work. So if we take a step back from that a moment and decide what we're actually trying to achieve with this plan. Now, to my mind, we're just trying to establish a workable system that will help and guide you as you construct your novel. Sometimes people argue that uh, writing any kind of outline will um, stifle your creativity. And there are times when I've thought that myself. And sometimes I found planning out something, if I've gone about it in rather a heavy handed way, I found it, you know, I found it a bit of a tough battle and one that I've sometimes given up on. But I don't really buy into that argument about it stifling creativity. I, I don't think it's a particularly valid point because that would tend to assume that having made a plan, you're totally wedded to it. And, and I just don't buy that. I think that so long as your plan is in itself a work in progress, it's a rough and ready reckoner to help you on your way, then I think it can only be a benefit. So I wouldn't shy away from it. Even if you see yourself as a pantster, someone who flies by the seat of the pants, you know, I still think you can get in a muddle quite easily. So having something basic, you may not call it an outline, but having some some basic lists of events and characters and locations would really help. Now, if you've tried planning and you found it just got in the way, whatever outlining method you tried, then maybe you just need to a slightly different approach. And I really think those approaches need to be personal. So I don't spend a lot of time like reading books on outlining. I do look at some craft books because I'm always keen to learn. I'm keen to see what other people do. But I never feel like I've got to slavishly follow somebody else's method because they're not me and I'm not them. And we all have our own way of working and our own environments that we live and work in. So I think you need to take a step back and think what is going to work for you, what is going to build on your strengths and what is going to address your weaknesses. So if, for instance, you tend to get in a muddle and, um, you know, get people mixed up and, you know, get the times and dates mixed up. You forget what time of day it is. You know, it totally makes sense to address that by just jotting those down so that you've got a quick sort of crib sheet you can refer to and say, oh, yeah, that happened, you know, at lunchtime. So it's no good me having them go outside and say it's dark outside. You know, I, I need to know who is what and where. Just for me, that would be a big help. So that's the kind of thing that I do. But on the other hand, there are people who like to have absolutely everything laid out before they begin, just as many cooks and home bakers are really keen to always follow a detailed recipe, whereas other people like to just, you know, uh, make it up as they go and throw everything into the pot. But I think even if you're quite a sort of recipe following keen cook, you will over time adapt those recipes and you'll, you know, scribble in your recipe book or make your own notes, you'll substitute one ingredient for another or you'll add something extra to give you a bit of variety or a bit of zing and I think you need the same kind of approach you know there isn't one recipe that everybody must follow you've got to make your own way of making plans and so long as it works for you if it helps and it's a, a kind of system that you can build on and use it for not just one book for the next book and so on then I think it's got to be worth investing a little bit of time into that into just saying, okay, what will work for me? Part of that is having a broad overall aim for your plan. So as well as the sort of mechanical administrative side of just keeping track of things, you actually want it to enhance your work. Uh, so 
One of the things we're trying to avoid is long rambling narratives that don't really go anywhere because uh, as you're writing them, they will bore you to tears. You'll you'll get fed up with them. And those are often the times when we sort of sit staring into space um, uh, or we, you know, throw down our keyboards and walk off in a huff because we're writing something that's not really interesting us. Our scene isn't in enough to engage us. And we want to avoid you getting into that situation because there's only so many hours in the day. So, you know, we want you to enjoy your work and to be coming to it fresh and thinking, great, this is really exciting what I'm doing. So what we really want, what will keep us going is some kind of drive, I think. A sense of drive in your work will keep you going and it will also engage your readers. It will keep you excited as you work and engaged in the process and it will keep your readers engaged when they get the finished product. And, you know, I, I make no apologies for talking about keeping both of you engaged, both your readers and you as a writer, because it does take quite a while to put a novel together. And you really need to keep that motivation going. You need to keep fresh and you need to keep keen. So, so many people give up and... If we stacked all the unfinished novels in the world on top of each other, how far would they reach? To the moon and back or, or maybe even further? I don't know. There's an awful lot of them out there. Um, so, you know, let's let's not go down that path. Let's keep ourselves excited about what we're doing. And using our plans that we're devising in our own way to really help us. I think just keep that in mind. It's what is this for? Don't do it because... Somebody else says it, don't do it because you've done it on a course or you've done it on a book or in a writing group. Do it because it works for you. And if it's not working for you, take a step back and think, OK, I'm going to stop doing this I'm going to, or I'm going to change something. What can you do? I think saying, OK, you've either got to follow a complex slavish outlining process or do nothing at all and fly by the seat of your pants is a, it's a false dichotomy. You know, there's plenty of middle ground that you can explore there, I think. So what we're trying to do, we're trying to bake our sense of narrative drive into our first draft. Well, if we just, I'm going to go back to sort of basics here for a bit. Um, it helps me to think about it in that way. But let's break down your whole novel into its constituent parts. At the top level, we've got the whole novel. Um, some people like to break things down into acts, you know, the three acts or five acts or whatever. I don't personally, but if it helps you and it works for you, then go ahead and give it a go. I think it possibly depends on how long the piece is, but it's not something I labour over. I, it's not something I really use. I, so, that, you know, that's me saying that's not particularly useful for me, so I don't worry about it. But if it helps you keep that structure, keep that drive, keep that enthusiasm, then go for it. So beneath the act type structure we have the familiar ground of chapters and at the chapter level it's a good idea to note down for each chapter that you're going to have uh, the dominant point of view and you might want to jot down the location and time of what's going on in there so that needn't take long uh, so you know 20 30 chapters as headings just a quick jot down there of whose point of view each one is and that might help you get a bit of variety and balance. It might help you keep track as well um, and give you, a, again, a crib sheet to look back and say, OK, this character 
I know that they did such and such the first time they appeared. Where is that now in my document? You know, how can I find it quickly? Um, within your chapter, you may have one scene or you may have several, um, and it just totally depends on the way that you write. But I think it's at that scene level that we need to do some planning that's a little bit more detailed to really help the scene to shine and to make that draft work. And what we're trying to do is to give each scene some kind of significance. Some people use the phrase, they say the scene has to turn. Others like to talk about shifts in polarity that occur within a scene. For example, um, going into the scene, the situation might be negative. You know, the characters are facing problems. Then during the scene, they work their way through it. And at the end, that has changed to becoming a positive uh, situation or it could be the reverse they could go in and positive or possibly in a neutral situation and it goes to a negative one because something terrible happens um, that is something that's referenced a little bit in the, uh, the the story grid material by Sean Coyne there's a book there's a podcast worth looking at really quite in-depth and in detail stuff some people might find it a bit heavy but there's a lot of useful information in there but before we get bogged down into um, details like polarity changes, which might not suit everybody. While I was putting this podcast together, it occurred to me that really what we are interested in just as human beings is change. We seem to have evolved to take notice of things that are new and unusual or things that are suddenly absent. Now, you know, we've all sort of been walking along and thought, hang on, that wasn't there before. And, and it, you know, we get curious, we look into things, we notice friends, neighbours, colleagues, we notice when things are changed, we notice when people change behaviour or their clothes or their hair, we notice when somebody buys a new car, we notice things that are new and different. And I think that is one of the things that takes us through a novel, which look at the word itself, you know, we're interested in the novel, the novelty in the novel. And I think if we can keep that sense of change in each scene that we do, we're giving people something fresh to experience and they'll want to come back for more. They'll want to come back for the next scene and the next chapter and the next book. Now, those changes, they might be changes in terms of character development. So it could be that something significant has been revealed about a character in that scene. Or the change could be expressed in terms of action. Um, or then again, it could be a significant change in the emotional impact of the situation that your characters find themselves in. For example, it might be a scene in which you heighten the tension, or there could be a deepening of emotions felt. Or then again, it could be a more relaxing interlude because you've just had a tense scene in the previous piece of work that you've done. So this is where a planning document can give you a sense of balance, a sense of variety. And by planning them in, we can make sure that they're there, that these changes are occurring and we can give our readers a nice, pleasant, varied reading experience. So it's not dull, it's not monotonous. And you might think, well, that's fine. I just put action in every scene. Um, but then again, it can be a bit relentless i mean i wonder how many films i've been to where i felt like dozing off during the you know the third car chase you know here we go again um 
it just that doesn't work for me if I go to film. Maybe you like that. I don't know. But even so, I think no matter how action packed the book, you still need some gentler scenes interspersed with them. And your characters are, will then have opportunity to regroup and perhaps reaffirm their aims. Perhaps, you know, they make new loyalties or um, have a parting of the ways. You know, there's some it's still a significant change, but it's just not full on action because that full on action will can just become a bit wearying for a while. So your action hero hides away, tends to his wounds and um, or her wounds and then they swear vengeance. Um, then when they re-emerge, you know, refreshed and reinvigorated, everybody cheers because, yeah, they're back. You know, um, we, we enjoy that. It's that sense of change. But unless we have the, the, the slower paced stuff, the faster paced stuff doesn't have the impact. I hope I'm making that, um, that clear. And I think the same goes for all kinds of genres. We need some variety in there. So... You know, we need love, we need heartbreak, we need, the, we need the light, we need the dark, we need things to change. Um, and I think that's why, you know, you're, you're reading, say, a police or a detective book, and we often seem to get a bit of a family life thrown in, a little family scene where, where the family is often dysfunctional for some reason in these things because, of course, the detective is so driven and they're always at work, so they, they go home and their partner throws things at them and says, you know, your dinner is in the dustbin or whatever. Um, and I think that's the purpose that those scenes serve, although they may be brief. They do have a, a sense of change and they help us to understand the characters. But whilst we may slow the pace, we don't want it to grind to a halt altogether. And so at the planning stage, if as we scribble down some notes for that plan, we're thinking, well, actually, this is a bit dull. It's a bit boring. Then maybe we need to stick a line through that and move on to the next thing. Again, just referencing Sean Coyne in his uh, story grid book, he refers to what he calls shoe leather scenes. And I think that's a really good phrase to bear in mind. And it's, it's very easy to find yourself writing a shoe leather scene. That's one where the characters simply go from place to place because you, as a writer, you're thinking, you have this about your reader and you have this impulse to tell them every single thing that happens. But unless it's particularly significant, unless they have some kind of revelation as they're walking to work or, you know, nipping down to the shops for a pint of milk, then do we really need that scene in there? Would the book be stronger if we just cut it out and got on to something interesting? And I think the answer is usually cut it out, go on to something more interesting. Um, and if you find yourself writing a shoe leather scene in your first draft, that's fine. In, in a way, that's what the first draft is for. It's some people say that I think it was Terry Pratchett said in the first draft, you're telling the story to yourself. Um, and that's OK, but it doesn't mean it has to be in the second draft unless uh, you can squeeze a bit of excitement or intrigue in there somewhere. And just thinking about um, something like the Harry Potter books. I mean, I know it's a bit tiresome. Everybody refers to those books as a bit of a, a lingua franca um, because so many people have read them. But even if you haven't read one of them, you're probably aware that each of the novels takes place over an entire year, or at least an academic year. Um, and if we had every single lesson and every homework assignment that was um, given to those students, if that was all spelled out, if you pardon the pun, 
um, then the books would totally lose their pace and they wouldn't at all be so popular with others. Young readers are hungry for the next interesting thing. So having established that we're going to try and get some kind of change into each scene in our book, then how much you actually record to help you do that is, is a very personal choice, I think. It can be as simple as one sentence. For example, it might say, Jim fights the dragon. Um, and that might be all that you need because the rest might be in your head and that's fine. At least you know roughly what is going to occur in that scene. But a lot of people like to produce a sort of thumbnail sketch, often written in the present tense, because it helps them to visualise the scene. And it's a trick that has been borrowed from screenplays, I believe. That's where it came from. And for that reason, they're often called beats. And so I just made one up off the top of my head while I was just sort of preparing for this podcast. So... Working in the present tense somehow helps to see it. So here's one I just made up. It's lunchtime in the coffee shop. We see Brian sitting alone at a table. He's moody on account of his argument with Deb. Sally comes in and cheers him up. They get on well and she invites him to dinner and he accepts. And that was all I came up with. It took me literally about five seconds or something just to, just to tap that into the keyboard off the top of my head. Um... And yet I know if I saw that little that little set of beats in front of me, I could turn that into a, a scene, say 1,500, 2,000 words, I guess. Because as I wrote it, I would have lots of dialogue. I'd have lots of thoughts of the characters. I'd have lots of little interactions between minor characters and the main characters. So, you know, perhaps somebody comes over to serve uh, our moody character and he's surly with them and then he regrets it or whatever, you know, so that gives us a little window onto, onto him. And I would put all kinds of detail in there, you know, the smell of the coffee, the um, the decor of the coffee shop. And I would make that scene sort of come alive. But to me, the most interesting thing was, as I scribbled that little idea down off the top of my head, I was already starting to see the characters. And that coffee shop, I, it was springing into my mind as I scribbled that idea down. It wasn't there before. I just created it by writing those beats. And, you know, I'm, I'm seeing that coffee shop. I'm seeing the um, Brian and Sally and I'm oh, sorry. Was it Bob? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm seeing him anyway. Well, we could, names are flexible, aren't they? It was Brian. Sorry. Um we're seeing Brian sitting there being moody and we're starting to wonder whether this Sally character hasn't always had designs on him. And that's, uh, you know, perhaps she's chosen her moment. She's a bit of a schemer. She's getting him while he's down. Uh, and what about uh, poor Deb, who's mentioned, you know, that she's had an argument, but by now perhaps she's cooled down. So she's maybe starting to wish she hadn't been so cross and... Uh, what will happen when she finds out about that dinner date? Is she going to be pleased or is she going to be angry? Well, she's unlikely to be pleased, but you know what I mean? It, it just sparked those thoughts in my mind. So just the act of writing a paragraph of beat type notes in the present tense set off my creative imagination. Um, it was fun. It's just like playing with the ideas. And I think if you can make the planning that you do a kind of imaginative game, a fun exercise you'll enjoy, 
then you'll end up coming up with all kinds of great ideas that wouldn't necessarily have happened if you hadn't gone through that step. It will make you more productive. It'll help you to eliminate ideas that, you know, they seem fine when you're in the shower that morning, but when you come and jot down a few lines, a paragraph to say what was going to happen, you think, well, actually, that's kind of dull as really just, you know, he's just driving to work. What's the point? Okay, he gets a phone call, but is that really enough? You know, somebody having a phone call, I could just squeeze that in somewhere else. So just trying to get a kind of sense of change in there. Um, change the dynamic in some way. And while you're doing it as well, I think you're getting a bit of an insight into the beating heart of your story. Um, those little bits of change that you'll start to think, do these tie in with the theme? You may have come up with a theme at the beginning or you may be sort of still working on that as you begin your planning. And that's a good time for the theme to emerge, I think, during the, during the planning stage. If you don't do some planning, then it might not happen till later. And we could argue about that all day, whether you want the theme. Sometimes there's more than one theme to a story. So we won't get too bogged down to themes at the moment. But the point is, is that the act of planning, if you can keep it fun and exciting and energetic and put lots of change into your characters, into your situations, then you'll be really seeing what makes your story tick. And you, you will get to know your story inside and out. So as you write it and as you change it and you'll start to say, OK, well, what will make this work? This is such something's going wrong. How can I fix that? Um, if it's OK, how can I make it better? If it's not too bad, how can I make it great? These are the questions you'll be dealing with as you go through your planning. And I think that can only be good and it can only enhance your work. So I think I've talked enough about planning for the moment. So we'll leave that there. Okay, for the Writer's Toolbox this week, it's not always software. Sometimes it's resources, sometimes it's books, sometimes it's just little things I've found. This one is about a book, and I am going to recommend a little book by Austin Cleon. I've mentioned some of his things before. They are all good, I think. A lot of people have heard of Steel Like an Artist. It was very popular. Uh, the little journal type workbook that comes with that is good. But I was going to mention one called Keep Going, which I think is incredibly apposite at the moment. It could almost have been written for these difficult times that we're living in uh, for the moment. So, you know, what a great sentiment. Keep going. It's a really nice little book. It's a sort of book where if you're having a little break from your writing and you're sitting down with a cup of coffee, you get that book. And it's very easy, easy to read, but the content is really very good. And I think it will inspire you and keep you going. So I recommend that. They are available as ebook, but they're actually really nicely made little paperbacks. They're in quite a little square format. And that makes some really nice little books to carry around with you and just have uh, while you, you know, fish them out while you're having a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or something and have a have a browse through. It's a really nice little book. OK, well, I think that wraps it up for this episode. Please do consider subscribing and telling your writing friends about the podcast. And if I'm getting subscribers, if I'm getting comments on the website, Writing Talk Podcast, if people are joining our group, which is called the um, WTP Workshop, I think, something like that, there will be links on the site. The, the sort of go-to place for everything is 
writingtalkpodcast.com and you can find uh, links and everything there to the resources that we mention, to show notes, which were uh, fairly comprehensive for these last couple of episodes and any other useful links like our Facebook group, uh, which isn't used a lot at the moment, but I'm hoping people go in there and uh, chat to each other and help each other out. So I will leave it there for the moment. Thank you very much for listening. Keep writing and keep smiling.